Hi, you're probably going to want to bring very far away from here. the microphone. Bring that up. There okay. you go. That way you guys aren't like bending over and killing yourselves. Yeah, how's your uh, desk <laughs> right now? <laughs> so I currently have, I'm borrowing my daughter's little Lego table and I'm using it as a desk and I have my mic on her blue little plastic chair. <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor. Adulting 101. I am totally adulting 101 <laughs> because the chair that we used to use is currently downstairs and fuck if I'm bringing that upstairs. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I will sacrifice and be on the floor. It's fine. I like being on the floor anyway because you can't fall off it. So That's true. Mm-hmm. Nicole, hello. Hello. By the way, uh, like happy holidays and like happy new year to everybody who's listening. We've been on break for the last like two weeks. Yes. I'm very we, sorry about that. But, yeah. Uh, I'm not. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no, seriously, sorry, not sorry. We were taking that time to be with our families. Yeah. And honestly, it just didn't work out schedule-wise to get us all together to at least like record episodes before the break. So we just decided to take like a two-week break and spend time with our families and relax and do things and or whatever and then that's it so and then, and here then we be are. prepared for the new year yeah and then be prepared for the new year yeah of course yeah what's up are you okay you're looking around like something's wrong okay cool Okay. He doesn't want to be here. <laughs> ah, oh, yeah. no, he's looking for the switch. Uh, you're going to have to save my character, please, because I haven't saved her yet. So please save her. Please save my farm. Please, Kyle, you're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> my only hope. I do, I do like oh. your um, Princess Leia. Where? Thank Can you. we see? Tattoo. Was my oh, hope. yeah. Oh, that's adorable. I love it. Thank mm -hmm. you. I, do, I want a Carrie Fisher tattoo. I know. I just want her, like, flicking me off. Yeah. I want a, her celestial be being coming down from the heavens, just flicking, flicking off. me off. With, like, the angel wings in the yes, background. Yes, that's all Flapping down and, you know, the, <clears throat> the heavenly rays just <clears throat> shining down. Yes. yes. She is my queen. Uh, God, I love her, and I miss her so much. Me too. I sobbed like crazy during uh, the last movie. Can't I, do spoilers, but you yeah, know. I was not expecting her to actually be in it. So neither was I. That's why I was like, <gasps> my heart, mm -hmm. my heart, it broke into a million pieces. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> we're finally back. Yes, hooray! And we're all in one room. Yay! <laughs> Yeet. Yeet. <laughs> <laughs> So how about uh, World War Three, you guys? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was in that group of people that it's just like you wake up and then World War Three is trending on Twitter. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's the picture of um, from The Office where it's like World War Three memes and it's uh, you as uh, Michael Scott. Yeah. Handshaking, like, like, just woke up. Like, like what's happening? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, I had, like, I remember... Going to like reading about the airstrike yeah. and then being like, oh, in my head it didn't process anything. And then the next day I woke up and I was like, oh, shit, that's what that means. It was <laughs> basically on the same level as like what Archduke of Yes. Yes, exactly. That's what everybody's comparing it to because that's basically what started that chain reaction to like what, World War One or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Lord. So. Uh, happy New Year, guys. <laughs> we are in World War Three, and, and it's only day four. <laughs> and it's only day four. And Australia's on fire, unfortunately, and we're just this world is just going. We just to need to send shit. all the troops that are being drafted to, to Australia. Australia. I to can't be drafted. I'm too thick. I can't be drafted. I'm on antidepressants. Me too. <laughs> I can't be drafted because I'm on antidepressants. And I did my time. I did two weeks before I got injured. And I was like, I'm just going to go home. I, I was basically offered the choice. You can stay or go home. I'm like, It was like two weeks. I'm like, I'm going to go home. I don't want to do I'm done. That. I'm done. I've had my share. I'm good. And it's just like the yelling in boot camp is not what gets you. It's just like, I get yelled at at home. Like, that's chilling. It's just like. That's just a daily Like, you really think about it. And it's like, damn, boot camp is only eight weeks, but then I'm going to be stuck in this for another four years. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm out. I'm okay. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, this world is fucked up. And I did my time, though. <laughs> I mean, measles is making a comeback. Yeah, plague that's right. 2020. 2020s because there was like a plague in 1820, plague in 1920, and it's did we just have like the quiet 20s? Like, everyone just please be a little bit quiet. <laughs> Can we not roar so much? I wish. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, apparently uh, there were other plans, and it's going to be a little bit louder, you know, with the bombs and shit. So, <laughs> the leaked image of memes for 2020 and his first one, World War Three. The second February one is a nuke, nuke, and then everything else is static. <laughs> uh, but anyway, besides all all that shit, hi everybody. Yes. Uh, I mean, if you guys don't know us, know who we are already for some reason, um, I'm Erica. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Nicole. Yep. And welcome and back to Cheers from the Grave. This and I'm in pain. <laughs> Yo, she just yeah, got... She, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, she just got like half a sleeve done, so... Yeah. Six hours, one sitting. Oh. I took, we took maybe like two 20-minute breaks. My tattoo artist was like, you are the best. You just sit there and you don't talk. Like, she's like, you're great. Like, I wasn't annoying her. Like, I'm in my phone, and I'm just like, do you need me to move? And I told her, I'm like, if you're going to hit, because it goes, like, to the back of my shoulder. Yeah. I'm like, flip the chair around. I'll straddle it. You get full back access. That's what she said. But, <laughs> yeah, and she's like, wow, I'd even think about this. Like, and she let me sign, like, her one thing on her wall. And she's like, you're welcome back anytime. And I'm like, oh. So we need a trip to this yes. tattoo artist. Yes, we do. Because she did a phenomenal job. She, like, those lines are ace. Like, hold shit. on. I'm going to take a picture really quick. Her name is Zena. She is from Highlander Tattoos. Off Curry Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Road yeah, in Florida. Florida. Sit here Orlando. We're, We're taking, taking a picture. picture. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. There's nothing prettier than skulls and flowers. Like, that's like my whole art. That's my aesthetic. My goal it in life was awesome. to come into 2020 as a goth queen covered in tattoos. And, I'm, start, I'm starting my sleeve where it's like, first it's a dagger with flowers and it's an axe with flowers and now it's a skull with flowers. There you go. It. That's the aesthetic. That is the best. Perfect. It is amazing. Uh, and the other arm is just full of random shit. <laughs> fucking Psyduck. You got Princess Leia, a spider, spider web. web. Yeah. Uh, some shit. <laughs> some moons. <laughs> <laughs> some moons multiple moons but also uh cat tattoo day is coming up that's going to be in a month in 30 days yeah i just got the it's from i'm trying to remember what tattoo place but they do cat tattoos like they release their um 
The Flash. The Flash. Nice. They release a new Flash every day, so you can choose from 30 pages worth of, like, cat tattoos. And I'm hoping, like, fingers crossed, there's a cat licking itself on a fucking tombstone so I could have she's my cat so tattoos. She's so down for that. She wants that so bad. Let's all just go get cat tattoos. You have no idea. I would get all of the cat tattoos. I would get- leave with an entire sleeve of just every single cat tattoo on that. the flashes. <laughs> like, I would. Just put this entire sleeve on my arm and call mm-hmm. it good. Yo, I just want to get a little cat tattoo. because, Well, I want to get a cat tattoo as well. But... um. I want to get a little ghost tattoo as well. And Nicole, I know you and I were talking about that, about we should all get like little ghost tattoos or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want one that's like next to the tombstone, like holding a glass of wine or something I was like that. Say that. I'm like a cat, a ghost, a tombstone, and a glass, glass of, of wine. wine. Yeah. Yeah, a cat on one side and the ghost on the other. Yeah. The cat sitting on the tombstone. I'll let Zena know. She could probably draw that up. Yo, yeah. Yes. yes. Ask her how much it'll be. I don't want it to be big. I just want it to be small enough to like go on my ankle. Yeah, probably like shop minimum, probably. Yeah. What's the shop minimum for them? Um, it's usually two by two, like right? Sixty. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Depending. Yeah. yeah okay. Sweet. But yeah. Second annual cat tat- cat two day is at Golden Terra Inc. Club. Meet us there, everyone. Yes. Wait, what day is it actually? It is going to be on... Kyle, are you yes. down? You want to get a cat tattoo, baby? <laughs> Kyle? Dad? So you can start sign-ups on March 1st Papa? for your cat tattoo, and then it's April 26th. April 26th. Okay. So in Winter Park, Florida. Oh, that's on a Sunday. Perfect. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going. And they're doing it all day. Um, the tattoos will range from 50 to 100, anywhere you want, and all proceeds go to charity... Um, so it'll all go to the Orange County Animal Services and help adopt cats. Perfect. So that means tip your artist. Yes. 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 Um, last year, uh, they actually adopted out all of the cats that were o- available for adoption at their event, which was around 15. That's so awesome. 15 cats got homes. And we all know I love a good cat adoption story. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So I'm excited. And plus, I'll have that day off. Manny so. was our, <laughs> Manny was my cat adoption story. Because I uh, we had to go to Petco for something, and I was like, you know, um, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to stay in the car. But I was like, no, I think I'll go in because, you know, it's like they're doing an adoption day, and it's like a free little zoo thing for Emma yeah. because she likes cats, and she, or she likes animals, and she was maybe eight months maybe almost a year old at that time. She was she was walking. Okay, yeah. so never mind. She was walking around. So she was a little on the older side, and so maybe over a year. And we went in, and she literally went straight to Manny. <laughs> straight to Manny, and Manny was all lovey-dovey with her and was very patient with her. And that, like, literally at that moment, I was like, yep, that cat's mine. Yep. <laughs> so we and adopted. black cats are the best. And he, yes, and he was a black cat. And unfortunately, black cats don't get adopted out as nope. much because of the superstitions. But mm-hmm. no. They're often targeted in around Halloween time as well yeah. from very evil people. Yep. It's not so, nice. I love my black cats. Yeah, well, my black cat is turning into a salt and pepper cat. And I love him so much. (laughs) He is so big. He's so perfect. He's chunky. All right. I like him chunky. Chunky, chunky, chunky. chunky. Absolute unit. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole's just like, what the fuck is happening? No, Um, I I understand what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're quoting... um, 
Was it Madagascar 2? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. Right? Kyle's like, God damn. It. He's just sitting there playing the Switch right now. He's just like, I'm being Kyle, you can keep this all in. We haven't fucked up yet. Yep. You can keep this all in there. Keep it all in. Please. He's smashing some rocks. Oh, he's playing Stardew Valley. I don't know what that means. Stardew Valley is a really cool game. You basically just go around and you farm things and you mine things. And yeah, the last video game I played was Lego Batman too. <laughs> oh Jesus! Do you know? Um, you know Animal Crossing? I know about it. I haven't played it. Okay, but you know the concept of Animal. Yeah. Cro- so it's Stardew Valley is kind of like that, okay. only a little bit more advanced. So it's okay. like. Yeah, so it's kind of like Also, that. we are not sponsored by any of the... We are not. <laughs> any of the events FYI. and or games we have mentioned. Yeah, FYI. <laughs> no sponsors. But if you want to sponsor us... Please send an email to <laughs> cheersfromthegrave at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can reach out to us at cheersfromgrave, uh, cheersfromthegrave. <laughs> oh, my God. You'll... Or our Facebook page. Oh, my God. Uh, so let's... Let's, let's uh, dive on in. Yes, let's dive on in. Who wants to go first? Or should we rock, paper, scissors this shit? I'm going last. <laughs> okay. I can, I can go first. You cool? Yeah. Okay, yeah, let's go first. All right. Go. So today, going with uh, World War III, we'll go ahead and start talking about the Mirabal sisters. Okay. I love a, go- a good feminist resistance story. Yes. So uh, the Mirabal sisters, also known as the Las Mariposas, uh, Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa, were Dominican sisters who opposed the dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo, a.k.a. El Jefe, and were involved in a clandestine activities against his regime. Um, so the Mirabal sisters are, were three resilient and determined women sought not only to serve as advocates for women's rights, but ultimately to act as heroines for their country. Uh, Patria Minerva and Maria Teresa Mirabal lived with their family in Ojo de Agua in... Salcedo Province, Dominican Republic. Uh, Their parents were successful land and business owners, and the girls lived a very conservative and humble life. Uh, The first Maribel sister was born in the 20s. Okay. So this is a pretty old story. Yeah. Are we talking like 1920s or 1820s? 1920s. Okay. So Mm -hmm. like 100 years ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's depressing. <laughs> oh my God. I just thought about that. That's a hundred years ago. Years and ago. like when I was born, it was only like 60. It's been some time. I'm an old hag. Join the club, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this time, clearly women were not really given the opportunity for a high-status life Mm -hmm. with education and stuff like that, but their family definitely wanted them to have these opportunities. Um, So the girls were taught the importance of education by both their parents, who worked hard to send the girls to um, the college in La Vega, which was a Catholic boarding school. Okay. Um, The sisters grew up during a time of intense turmoil in their country. So in 1930, the... Dominican Republic was placed under the rule of the uh, Generalissimo Rafael Trujillo, and Trujillo served as the dictator for the Dominican Republic for nearly three decades. Um, His rule established the most totalitarian control over his people that any Latin American country had experienced. 
Um, so his rule included instances of bribery, murder, and the disappearances of anything or anyone who challenged him. Oh, shit. But not only that, he also had tons of sexual advances towards a number of unwilling women. So that is kind of where this story comes into play and how the Maribal sisters became the Las Mariposas. Okay. The butterflies. The butterflies. Yes. Um, So pretty much what happened was um, uh, Minerva, Mm -hmm. the third oldest or second youngest, um, she actually went to college and she went to go study for law. However, being one of the most beautiful women in the Dominican Republic turned down Trujillo's advances mm-hmm. and said that she would not allow him to basically sexualize her yeah. and denied everything. And because of that, he made her and her family's life a living hell. Oh, of course he did. Yes. Male chauvinistic asshole. Mm-hmm. Always. Uh, so pretty much Minerva had re- enrolled in the University of Santo Domingo where she studied law. And in 1949, was denied her license to practice law because of the declined romantic advances of President Trujillo. Asshole. Mm -hmm. However, Minerva did meet her husband at the university, Manuel uh, Justil. And later, he actually supported and helped her in the fight against his regime. So it's good to have a husband and a partner that helps fight against totalitarian regimes. It does. It's very nice. (laughs) Um, so pretty much Minerva was the most active and radical among her sisters, and she was the first one opposing Trujillo. Her sisters joined her after they witnessed his tyranny and the number of deaths caused by his regime. Uh, she also didn't manage, sorry. Uh, she also, uh, didn't manage to escape Trujillo's direct orders for her arrest and harassment, um, and she once said that perhaps what we have most near death is death, but that the idea does not frighten me. We shall continue to fight for which is just. Um, so pretty much she spent her entire life up into her assassination. Oh, wow. Fighting his regime. regime. Wow. That's crazy. Um, um, the Mirabal sisters, being the strong, intelligent, and outspoken women that they were, realized that they were unwilling to live under Trujillo's corrupt uh, corrupt and harmful regime. Uh, Minerva was actually influenced by her uncle when she got involved into the political movement against him, um, Trujillo. Mm -hmm. And Trujillo was actually assassinated in May of 1961, but after their death. Um, However, Maria uh, Maria Teresa was the first to join her sister in her activities, and later Patria also got involved after witnessing a massacre by some of Trujillo's men while on a religious retreat. Um, so the three sisters established a group known as the Movement of the 14th of June, which was named after the date of the massacre which Patria witnessed. Hmm. Their involvement and leadership in the revolution against Trujillo was unprecedented, not only because of the essential passive role of women in Hispanic societies, but also due to the fear that a majority of Dominican citizens had of Trujillo. Still, though, three of the Mirabal sisters, um, Patria Minerva and Maria Teresa, along with their husbands, became symbols and leaders of political activism in opposition of the regime. Uh, Their activities included distributing pamphlets, which contained the names of the people killed by Trujillo, and also obtaining materials for constructing guns and bombs in a case of an open revolt. 
Oh, jeez. Uh, the sisters adopted the name Las Mariposas, which was Minerva's underground name, which also means the butterfly. Um, so that's how they ended up calling themselves. So the Las, uh, Las Mariposas. Although they were arrested, Maria Teresa and Minerva were not tortured in their arrest. Well, that's good. Thanks to the growing international opposition to Trujillo and his regime. Um, all three sisters' husbands, who were also part of the group, um, were actually incarcerated at La Victoria Penitentiary in Santo Domingo. Mm. And when Trujillo's actions got condemned by the Organization of American States in 1960, Maria Teresa and Minerva were released, but their husbands remained in jail. Uh, Why? Their movement in opposition to Trujillo came to a staggering halt on November 25th in 1960. Uh, Patria Minerva and Maria Teresa were traveling back home from a jail in Puerto Plata where their husbands were imprisoned when they were attacked by Trujillo's secret police. The three women and their driver were taken out, strangled, and clubbed to death. Then, in a feeble attempt to cover up the murders, their bodies were put back into the jeep and thrown off a cliff. What the hell? Uh-huh. Oh, shit, Bull. man. Yeah. Jesus. So words, word of the sister's death actually spread like wildfire throughout the Dominican Republic, especially among those who worked alongside Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa in opposition to Trujillo. The, their deaths were described in Trujillo's puppet newspaper, El Caribe, as an automobile accident. However, few people at home or abroad were fooled by the story. And Trujillo's attempt to cover up the murder was completely unsuccessful. The bravery of the women and their refusal to stay quiet or give up in their unwavering organization efforts against Trujillo were all integral in the events to ultimately lead or ultimately led to Trujillo's downfall. Mm. The Mirabal sisters, now largely known as the Mariposas, uh, have come to be recognized as heroines in the Dominican Republic. Um, the country actually shows their appreciation and respect for the women in virtually every Dominican town because each town has some commemorative marker, school, or main street bearing their names. Okay. Um, furthermore, the women have become symbols of women and human rights worldwide. And every year since 1999, when the UN decided to declare the assassination date, um, November 25th, Okay. Is now recognized as the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Oh, nice. So in 1999, the UN dedicated that to them. But not only that, it's also the beginning of the 16 days of activism against gender violence, which culminates on Human Rights Day on December 10th. Very cool. So that is the story of the Maribal Sisters, a.k.a. Las Mariposas. Very cool. Oh, my gosh. That was a... That was a ride. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. And it all started with woman turning down sexual advances Jesus. to a man. Wow. Queen. I know. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. You ready for mine? Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, I decided to do a haunted theater that take that is in... Melbourne, Australia. Ooh. Yeah. Shout out to Australia again. Yes, exactly. Uh, prayers to them. Uh, there's actually, uh, I want to make a note too before I start going into this. Um, there's a lot of places out there where you can actually donate 
and help Australia in their efforts to fight the bushfires that they have over there or the brush fires. So um, if you basically Google like how to help Australian fires, um, there's a whole bunch of links on there that you can do. And uh, I'll make sure to find some and put some, make sure uh, to put them in the show notes. So that way you all can, uh, if you want to help out, I would definitely urge you to. So um, anyway, so the Princess Theater, um, I, uh, I got a lot of my information uh, by from the Haunted Places podcast and I also Wikipedia and Google searches in general. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the Princess Theater um, is a 1,488-seat theater that's located in Melbourne's East End Theater District in Australia. It's currently the oldest continuous entertainment site in the mainland of Australia, enlisted by the National Trust of Australia, and it's on the Victorian Heritage Register. Mm. So the theater dates back to the gold rush of 1854, when a man named Tom Moore, who constructed, constructed a barn-like building, uh, he called it the ass, uh, excuse me. The theater dates back to the gold rush of 1854 when a man named Tom Moore, who constructed a barn-like building uh, and called it Astley's Amphitheater. It had a center ring uh, for horse shows and a stage at one end for dramatic performances. It was then leased out to an actor-manager named George Coppin, and in 1857, the amphitheater had an extensive renovation and was reopened as the Princess Theater and Opera House. So um, there's a fun little fact when it comes to theaters in general, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that uh, some of you may, like, I'm sure some of you may know, but generally all theaters always have a single light that's kept lit during uh, the times, like, a performance or theater space isn't being used. And it's normally used as, like, for safety so people don't go falling into the, uh, into the orchestra pit. But it's also, there's also a very popular superstition that, you know, obviously that there's a ghost or at least one ghost or multiple ghosts and spirits that actually haunt theaters. Mm -hmm. And so it's called a ghost light because of that. And it provides the opportunity for ghosts to perform on stage, uh, basically to appease them. So they won't actually curse the theater or sabotage the set or the production. Okay. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it basically gives them that chance to... Continue doing what they would like to do. So, um, I'm going to jump around the timeline here. But uh, in 1994, there was an actor who was pretty much alone in the green room and getting ready for the evening's production. When he sat down uh, to put on his makeup, he felt like he wasn't alone and he called out if anybody was there. But there wasn't a reply. So, he returned to putting his makeup back on but continued to feel that he wasn't alone. Um, he said he then felt a sudden chill and felt as if someone had entered the room. And so he looked around, but nobody was there. He tried to shrug it off and then tried to, you know, and then began his warm-ups until his hat basically flew off the table next to him and hit the wall across the room. Mm. Apparently the actor was like, fuck this, <laughs> fled the theater, and refused to be alone in there ever again. Is that not the premise of The Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> I feel like that is. Right? Pretty much. So there is this one, the reason why I said that is because there's this one main spirit that actually haunts the Princess Theater. Um, so there is a, and this is basically how he came about to haunting this place. So there was an actor 
Um, his name is Frederick Baker. He was born in Florence, excuse me, he was born in Florence, Italy in 1851. He started his career of being an opera singer at about 23 and became well known uh, extremely quickly. What's going Sorry, on? Sorry, my first fire. <laughs> Yo. So, side note, that, bo that box right there, that's what Emma's gift came in from okay. Sharon and Matt. Yeah. Right? And so I opened that up, and, I, like, Emma's opening that up, and I'm sitting here like, my first fire? What the fuck? Okay, I saw that in a meme, and I thought it was a joke, and then she, and I'm like, is there a glitch in the Matrix right now? And I just saw that in a meme yesterday, and I thought it was, like, just something totally fake. I, yeah. Like, there's a box that literally says, my first fire. Yep. So it's a, it's a prank box. It's a prank box. Okay. Because I seriously, when she's opening it up, I'm sitting here like, what the fuck? Like, like I was laughing, but it was a nervous laugh. And it's one of those like, this is not appropriate for a child. But, but a part also of, that's pretty awesome. But also that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so I was really torn about it. And then they opened the box and it was blanket. I'm like, oh, thank God. But I was also disappointed. So age is two plus. I know, right? <laughs> No, because I saw that on Facebook, and I thought someone just, like, Photoshopped a meme together. No. Nope. But here we are. Here Anyways. we are. I'll post that on our page later. But anyway. Also, I'm very sorry for my ADD. For no, you're good. You're good. So, anyway, back to Frederick Baker. Um, he began his career as being an opera singer at the age of 23 and became well-known uh, extremely quickly. He then started going by the stage name of Frederick Federici. He was in famous operas like the Pirates of Pizans and Mikado, uh, and he also traveled all over the world to perform in operas. But his final show took place inside the Princess Theater, um, playing as the character of Mephistopheles, meaning basically the devil. So it's in the show Faust, uh, written by Gonaud. Gonaud? Are you okay, baby? Okay. Uh, G O U N O D. Gonad. I don't want to say Gonad. <laughs> G O U N O D. Gonad. Gonad. I think is how it's pronounced. Gonad. Gonad. Um, Ave Maria. Okay. Yeah. So the show Faust came to Melbourne in 1888, and it was the most popular show for its time with the cutting edge of new technology of electric lighting. So the show is about a man who attempts suicide twice by drinking poison, but every time he tries, uh, he hears a chorus outside. So what does he do? He decides to turn to the devil because that, you know, makes sense. So he decides to turn <laughs> to the doubt. devil, Mistopheles, and he tells Mistopheles that he wants youth and love. And of course, the trade-off would be his soul. So he agreed because why not? So in the final act of Faust, the hero, uh, Faust, was delivered everything he wanted. However, it doesn't turn out what he wanted because, of course, Faust became married, but his wife was then on trial for murdering her own child. Faust goes to her side and begs her to give her soul to the devil so she could live, but she turns away in disgust and then turns to the angels. Miss, uh, Mephistopheles tells Faust it's time to fill his part of the deal and, say, Let's, uh, and says, end quote, let us hasten to leave this place. The sky grows light. Already follow my steps or sh I shall forsake you. Let us hasten to leave this place, end quote. Hmm. So as the devil reaches for Faust, the ground opens up and drags Faust to hell. 
The effect was actually a trapdoor opening that uh, and lowered, like that. It was a trapdoor opening that was in the stage, and it lowered the two actors beneath it. This, of course, went extremely well with the audience since they weren't used to performances like that due to you know newfound electricity. So they were all like, "Oh my god, mine's blown!" Yeah, right. So, however, what the audience didn't know that Federici actually collapsed and died from a heart attack after the platform lowered under the stage. Oh, wow. So there was a newspaper that stated that the conductor, who sa uh, he said that he noticed a tremor in Federici as he began to be lowered under the stage. Federici, out of sure willpower, continued his performance and continued to sing his final note, basically just dead set on finishing his performance. Mm. He was rushed to the green room where doctors spent over an hour to revive him. However, he failed, and Federici died under the stage while his fellow performers continued their performance above. So after the, after the show ended, the stage manager informed the actors of Federici's death, and all of them were like, all of them were shocked, of course, and refused yeah. to believe that Federici was dead because they were just like, but he was literally just on stage taking his bows. He just out the best performance I've ever seen. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. The manager told the actors, hey, FYI, he died an hour ago, and the actors are like, are you no, that's not true because he's literally just on stage with us taking his final bow. He was on stage with them. What? His spirit was on stage with them taking his final bow and all the actors saw it and they were just like, "No, like the audience, actors, everybody saw him up on stage taking his final bow when he actually died an hour previous." <gasps> yeah. That's the quickest spirit I've ever heard of outside of the he movie Ghost. He was not about to miss that curtain <laughs> no, call. No, he was man. That, he was not about to miss that curtain call, man. That actor was, like, he literally sang to his death. Damn. Literally sang to his death because that's how much it meant to him. He was having a heart attack while he was being lowered and singing at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Intense. That's, Yeah. Very. But the thing is, he was there in costume and everything. So from then on, Federici continued to perform on the stage. So about 10 years after his death, and around like 1900, a new fire alarm system was actually installed in the theater, which required a resident fireman to punch a time clock every hour, which I'm sitting here and I'm like... Every hour? Every hour. So you have to have somebody that's a fireman in that theater... Every hour, punching a time clock. Uh-oh. What? Maybe that's what they installed in the Transformers building. Because <laughs> that fire alarm would go off all the damn time. Don't even remember. In control booth. It would always be. Oh, the Honeywell. Yeah, yeah. the Honeywell. Yeah. The system. Yeah, not the actual fire no. alarm. The one to tell you it's on. Yeah. So they they installed quiet. us. Uh, <laughs> they installed a 1900 version. Yeah, of they Honeywell. <laughs> Because it required you to turn it off every hour. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. If nobody touched it, and it was like the main text that had to do it, if not, you would hear beep, beep. That's, that's obnoxious. All day. Mm -hmm. All day long. That's obnoxious. Sorry, oh. that's a little insider for anybody that works at Universal, <laughs> aka Transformers. Right. Oh, Jesus. But yeah, no, this, this, this fire, this, they required a fireman to punch a time clock every hour, which, again, that's tedious yeah. and weird and i'm trying to figure out why but if the time clock isn't punched then the fire brigade was dispatched so 
There was one day where there was a heat wave mm. and a punch didn't come through. So the brigade was dispatched thinking the worst. They were like, oh my God, we're going to show up to this place and it's going to be on fire, flames everywhere. However, that wasn't the case. They showed up and there was no fire. Everything was fine. Um, they went in to investigate and they had a hard time finding their coworker. But when they finally found him, he was literally huddled up in a corner, like freaking the hell out. Uh. And so the man stated that while he was in the theater, he was opening up uh, sliding panels in the roof to allow some heat to escape. Mm -hmm. But when he did that, there was like bright moonlight and it shone directly onto the stage. And on that stage revealed a figure standing center stage. And he wore evening evening clothes and a top hat and his arms were raised. In the moonlight, just, whew, yeah. Um, and, of course, the firemen believed him because he was a burly man. And from what the other firefighters were saying about him, he was very, like, nothing really shook him very much. Yeah. So the firemen were like, oh, that's what you saw? Oh, shit, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> so they literally, like, booked it out of that theater after that. Um, and that's how the new fire system were that, created. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, fuck this shit. not go back in there anymore. <laughs> Damn. In 1990, uh, Rob Guest took the role of the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Of the Phantom, excuse me, in the Phantom of the Opera. He performed the role over 2,289 times. Gosh. After his performance at the Princess Theater, and uh, he returned home and found a letter from one of the audience members. The letter said that she had she and her husband saw a figure during the song "Point of No Return," standing to his left, dressed in full evening wear and a top hat, and he was there for a full minute and then disappeared. Ooh. So of course, Rob was just like, "So shit, there was a ghost standing next to me this entire <laughs> Why time. Tell me that? Nobody told me this. Are you kidding me? And me at my job." <laughs> <laughs> Like, there is a ghost and nobody's, like, nobody told me? <laughs> me at my job. Oh, Jesus. Right? Oh, my gosh. We'll have to talk about that in the next episode, by the yeah. way. But anyway, so, he, but the thing is, at the same time, I think uh, Rob kind of took solace in the fact that yeah. he was there because it's one of those, like, when Federici shows up, it's, like, kind of a sign that um, Federici's, like, honoring your performance or respecting it or showing that he approves it. Yeah. So in 1989, a year before, the artistic director of Les Mis said his entire cast was working on their final dress rehearsal. Um, So when they stopped for lighting adjustments, the cast looked out into the audience, like in the seating area of the audience, and saw a gray shimmering light appear. Everyone watched as this light Form basically turned into a ball and floated, uh, excuse me, and floated towards them. So as it got to the stage, it vanished. And so the cast, you know, even though they were kind of freaked out and everything, they basically thought it was Federici's way of telling them that he was enjoying the show. So, um, which I like, you know, it's because when it comes to theater and everything like that, like I personally love the theater. And if there mm-hmm. was a spirit or there that was making itself known, I'd be like, you know, cool, I'm, I'll perform for you too, as you know, it's just a way of respect. Yeah. So uh, Federici basically had became a staple within the theater, and even the owner at this time, uh, Elaine Mariner, uh, enjoys having. Oops, excuse me. 
uh, enjoys having him around and also um, had experiences with him. She actually declined to have ghost hunters and psychics come and connect with him and to basically, quote unquote, cleanse the theater. So um, because, you know, they like having him around yeah. and he is actually extremely respectful. Uh, well, he's respectful to the actors and stuff and. Um, I have a feeling the only performance he's never approved of was any performance of Cats. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jeez. Please watch Cats. No. I, also, every time you kept saying Mistopheles. I, I kept, kept thinking Mr. Mistopheles, too. Yes. <laughs> Magical Mr. Mistopheles. He's the only cat that I respect in this whole damn house. I love him. <laughs> The Magic Cat. That movie was awful, but it was an experience. Everyone, please watch it. I grew up on that musical. Literally okay. grew up on that music and the musical and even saw it on Broadway. Me too, but I absolutely hated it. I thought it was an experience it. and it was really funny. If you go in there like in an empty theater with your friends just to enjoy it, it's a trip. I think I'll just wait until it like gets released on Netflix. It's just like someone filmed that directed it someone edited it like someone sat down and approved this and released it and it was just like how many people did this go through before it came to the theater like a lot how did this slide past yeah. everybody how did i feel like at one point everyone's like well you might as well just fuck it just do it <laughs> but like honestly quick another quick note on that movie everyone who's like not really a known actor, like the, all the people from the Royal Ballet yeah. and like just like musical theater people who were in the movie, which were like a lot of, basically everyone in that movie was either like a serious performer or a celebrity. So the serious performers killed it. They killed it. They believe it. Yeah, they took it real serious. Like the guy who does Mr. Mistopheles, I believe his name was Laurie Davidson. And then like everyone, the person who plays Monkus Trap, everyone took it so seriously and did an amazing job. But then you have Rebel Wilson over here treating it like a joke. I think the only celebrity that you could tell who was actually into the role was Idris Elba. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, that, that I believe. Yeah, that everyone believe. else who was a celebrity was like, I think they were just like, fuck it. Oh my like, god! This is our and then, movie now, and, and that's what killed it for me. I was like, I could have looked past all of it if everyone just came in there seriously, yeah, and it wasn't such a horny mess. Oh my god! <laughs> all the cats are horny. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> They're street cats. Could have told you that they were all horny. <laughs> it was just a cat orgy that they filmed, you guys. It, it was getting close to. <laughs> oh my god! See, I've never seen cats before that, so I was just like, "What the fuck?" I don't even remember that being really a thing, but I in the actual the, show, I like downloaded the, the movie album and the original Broadway cast recording, so I'm obsessed now. It's good, no. yeah. But anyway, going back, <laughs> sliding back, I'm basically like at the tail end of this. <laughs> no, you're fine. We had to. You said Mistopheles. Mr. Mistopheles. Literally, that's what I kept thinking the entire time. Um, but basically, in respect to uh, Federici, every opening night of a performance of third row seat in the dress circle is left empty for Federici. And uh, has been known to and has been known to be a sign of good luck if he appears. Okay. So, and nice that man. is the story of the Princess Theater in Melbourne. Again, uh, our thoughts are with them, and if you guys, we strongly advise and strongly like just encourage you all to try to find ways to donate to them because they need 
anything and everything. To donate or to help in any way. Yeah. Because we're so far away, there's only so much that we can do. But if you can try and... Like, I'll jump on a flight. I'll go into the fire and rescue koalas. Oh, my God. If I have to. Are you going to take your shirt off your back like that one girl? Because that... Did you hear that the koala died? The, the one that the girl, that woman, like, literally took the shirt off her back to save... He passed away like a week or two later, and I was sad. so sad. I know, and then there was um, a kangaroo who was rescued by a few people from the fire and would not stop hugging yeah, his rescuers. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm just like, oh, we need to save the Australian animals, the good ones, not the spiders. Yeah, not the spiders. Can go. <laughs> those, yes. those, 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 the insects that they have there are fucking terrifying. Yeah, and the Australian zoo has saved over 90,000 animals so far but we've lost over a billion a billion yeah a half billion not a million billion Billion. that is a (laughs) b-i-l-l-i-o-n b-i-l-l-y-o-n billion billion oh shit all right nicole okay you yeah (laughs) speaking of australia i had a cryptid today oh okay Aside from those beautiful Australian animals, rest in peace, you guys mentioned the spiders. What other kind of animals do you picture when you're in Australia? Like the deadliest kind, right? Spiders? Yeah, just anything that mutated from hell itself. Basically. Well, I mean, is Australia, is basically, Australia is basically where, you know, Satan puts his pets. That's why it's so. on fire. Gates of hell opened. Holy shit. <gasps> Conspiracy. Yes, and we have one more that I'm going to talk about. But it's also global warming. Yeah. (laughs) 100%. But for real, it's global warming. (laughs) That ass. Okay, so I, 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 except for spiders, I can't really think of anything else that could be as terrifying. It's, well, I'm going to talk about the bunyip. The what? The bunyip. Bunyip? I was thinking like bunyip. B U N. Y-I-P, bunyip. 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 I love him. So the bunyip is an Australian water monster, sometimes described as a ferocious predator and other times as a gentle herbivore. Okay. I know. He's a cryptid. He's a cryptid. Come on. Okay, look. No one can make up their The waters of Australia, the coasts of Australia, and what is in those oceans are terrifying as well. That's why Jurassic World was created, <laughs> to explain to us what creatures are in the ocean. But that was in my in my home in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica. By the way, Costa Rica is not an island. Do not listen to Jurassic yes. Park. Do Anyways. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, continue. Sorry. So he has been part of the Aboriginal tradition for centuries, and he continues to be a favorite character in Australian fiction today. So what would you think the bunyip looks like? Water creature, just what would you picture? Maybe something along the lines of like a giant alligator hybrid. Massive ass fangs. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Air high five. Yeah. So I mean, it's a cryptid, so we already know how the how this is gonna how it's going to go. But like, I'm going to look this up. Please do. There's so many. I don't even know what to believe. But descriptions of the bunyip vary so widely that many scholars believe he is just a nominal catch-all for an assortment of different regional monsters who have been described as everything from a giant starfish to a crocodile with a dog-like head 
feathers, fins, tusks, claws, beards, and a duck bill, a horse tail, and a single massive eye. So he's a fucking hodgepodge. Yup, a stomach mouth have all been attributed. That was the first draft of the platypus. <laughs> the bunyip. The bunyip was the scratch that. Let's start over. <laughs> So all these different things and like all the different pictures you can find, the one thing everyone can agree on is his size. He's big enough to be a man eater. Okay. Uh, yes. So the Bunyip's territory is far flung with sightings of him reported all over the Australian continent. He dwells in swamps, lakes, rivers, and even in aquatic environments that routinely drain during the dry season, like water holes and billabongs. So I'm assuming he's a skater. I'm kidding. <laughs> Never heard that to be described as something. Billabongs? That's, isn't that a brand? I, I want to say that's an Australian word. That's why I kept it in the nose. Okay. Although he is typically considered to be an aquatic creature, he has been sighted lumbering over land as well. Alrighty. So, with, have you guys said the hellfires and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the word bunyip means devil or evil spirit in the Aboriginal language. Native Australians disagree about this creature's disposition. Certainly his monstrous appearance and his booming cries, which echo across the Australian landscape, color him nightmarish. And his legend even comes with a small death toll. He has been accused of killing several Aborigine people. And with that, I'm just going to assume the white people came up with that rumor. Yeah, probably. Yes, (laughs) we all know what happened to the Aborigines. So we're, it's all in good fun right now. <laughs> but yes, usually he hugs people to death. What? Still, what? Yeah, it's the white piece. Sorry. We know, we know what death. happened in Australia yeah. with the Aborigines. Yes, we do. Oh, Jesus. But let's enjoy the bunny up, everyone. Oh, my God. Still, he is described by others as a benevolent protector of Australia's wildlife. So where is he? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he needs he's a water creature. Where is he? Well, if he's a water creature, um, you know, fire. I don't know. He's, he's a, a protector. protector. Well, he needs to do a better job. But yes, he's seen. Animals already aside from the animals and the Aborigines, he's seen as a protector rather than a bloodthirsty predator with a taste for human flesh. Well, that's good. Whether for good or for evil, most native Australians do believe that this water creature has supernatural powers. He may be able to alter the water level in his home environment. Or he might use his ferocious roar to cripple unwelcome visitors. One legend describes a monster hypnotizing a woman and keeping her for several weeks as his slave until the spell was broken by a large thunderstorm. Yeah. (laughs) How? What? I think white people created the bunyip. I mean, they've created a lot of other horrible things. So Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Where is he? <laughs> You're our only hope. Bunyip. <laughs> bunyip. bunyip. All right. Even though most Australians today believe that the bunyip is purely mythological, a small pocket of crypto- cryptozoologists still cling to the numerous fossils and sightings of Australia's watery monster. The most popular theory names the Diprotodon, a giant marsupial, and it's Australia, which has been extinct in Australia for over 46,000 years oh, as the famous water beast. Yeah. Passionate believers claim that this massive marsupial still lurks in Australia's rugged outback. Is he water? Is he land? We can never decide. 
while more moderate believers claim that the Aborigine people may have a cultural memory of the Diprotodon, a sort of oral tradition which has been handed down from generation to generation and accepted as a true by each new generation. Another little explanation as to what he could actually be, elephant seals and leopard seals have also been proposed as explanations. If these seals somehow found their way inland, they could easily terrify native people with their size and loud barks. Hmm. Oh, jeez. So that's our good friend, the bunyip. You know, as I was learning about the bunyip, and when you say it out loud, he's kind of problematic. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> he's kind of problematic. Just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. But he can, you know, do Australia solid and start saving some of those animals. Yeah. Just I'd like to think that the bunyip is just a white person in a costume. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> just fucking Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I believe that. So that's him. Aww. Bun-yip. 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 Oh my god. Yip, yip, yip. Yip, 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 yip. Some of these pictures, yip, yip. though, yip. are freaking like. The pictures of it are. I saw one that looked like a saber tooth, and I'm like, what is the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the first one that popped up, and then the next one popped up like it had like the body of a cat, but like the arms or the the legs and stuff were all like noodles. Yeah, like snake legs. Like, yeah, snake legs. The bunyip is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> first draft of the black he's the first mistake that god ever created (laughs) i was like oh shit (laughs) sorry world i'd like to think the devil created his creatures first and put them in australia and then god's like let me let me make something he's like now fuck it have it australia let me make the pg version of these animals let me just put it right back in there (laughs) all right uh well Yay! We're back again. This is exciting. We did it, you guys. We did it. We did it. I think that was our first ever podcast without any of us making a big ass mistake. I think so. That was. This is a one shot, guys. Oh my god! New year, new us. Yes. (laughs) Yo, I want. We've been proofreading our notes before we speak. (laughs) Yo, I actually like said a bunch of Spanish words, and I'm surprised. I I am shocked. I'm shocked. And I actually did like really well with my Dang. notes this time. And like, oh my God, I'm so proud of everybody. I'm so we proud. Here, guys. We stand. We do stand. We stand. We need to, I want this year for us to blow up. Not literally because of World War Three, but figuratively. My main goal is to blow up and then act like I don't know nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. I love riffraff. Yes. All right. Well, let's wrap this up because we do have another one that we need to record. So cool. Well, again, thank you guys for listening and joining us. We really, really, really do appreciate it. Um, Y'all, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter at Cheers from Grave. Um, Instagram at Cheers from the Grave. Facebook at Cheers from the Grave and on our website at cheersfromthegrave.com. Mm-hmm. I'm like harboring a burp in my chest right now. <laughs> but you can email us at cheersfromthegrave at gmail.com. And then we also have our link tree, Erica. Yes. So we have our link tree where you can find all the lovely links that belong to us. Um, that also includes uh, Patreon if you would like to donate to us. Um, there We are going to be putting up raw episodes of each 
like every time we release an episode, we basically release a raw episode on Patreon, so you can listen to us and all of our unedited fuck uppery <laughs> glory. Yes. Not this time, though. But not this time, bitches. This will be very rarely edited. I'm excited. So uh, there's Patreon. There's also Coffee, where if you don't want to make that monthly donation, you can just give, do a one-time donation on there. Um, but all of that can be found on Linktree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash C-F-T-G. Yeah. And also because this episode, we talked a lot about Australia, please definitely look into donating or finding out ways that you can help with the Australia fires. Yes, please, please, please. Because we love those animals and the people that are there. I have a friend who lives there. Thankfully, he is fine. Um, his partner's mother apparently uh, was in some danger and stayed with them for a while, but I guess her house is fine now. But still, please continue to keep them in your pairs and do what you can to donate if you can. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, America. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Nicole. And this is Cheers, Cheers from, from the, the Grave. grave. Yay. Okay. I got to <clears throat> get my ass up. Ow. Baby, we're done.